So as Duncan said, my name's Matt, um, and I'm really excited to be speaking this morning. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I was part of the team that moved here to plant Revelation Church. Um, so I've been here for a couple of years now. Um, and this morning, I want to talk about a topic that's really close to my heart, and it's been part of my journey with God. He started me on a few years ago now, and that's knowing God as our Father. So I'm going to open up the Bible in just a bit. So if, if you want to read along, um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter six. Um, but first, I want to talk a bit about how God started me on this journey uh, a few years back. So I think one of the things about knowing God as father that makes it difficult is that before we come to learn that God is father, we all have preconceptions of what fatherhood is like from our own experience. And for some people, that might mean having little or no experience of fatherhood. For some people, that might mean an experience of fatherhood that's somewhat flawed and problematic. For some people, that might mean what they think of as a really good example of fatherhood. But whatever the example you've had and whatever preconceptions you come to God as father with, his example of fatherhood exceeds and, and outshines any earthly example we can have from a father. So for me, my experience of fatherhood is a little complicated. So my father was an alcoholic while I was growing up. And for a lot of my childhood, I didn't really realize the full impact of that. Um, I was kind of un under the impression that he had an alcohol problem and he'd stopped drinking and I was really proud of him. And then when I was 19, my parents separated and divorced. And over the following couple of years, I learned that it had been a much bigger problem than I realized. And I was sort of having to, to reshape my view of my father and fatherhood in general. Um, and that sort of came to a head when I was 21. And me and my siblings basically gave my dad an ultimatum that it's us or alcohol. And for a few years after that, he chose alcohol. And that was a really difficult time um, because we didn't have a relationship with him during those years. It was also the time in my life when I was really starting to walk with God and learn to follow him and his path for me. And during that time, I feel like I, I really learned about Jesus and I learned about God as this sort of heavenly power. But I definitely, for a long time, didn't quite get God as father. And I didn't realize that I didn't because I didn't really have that picture of what fatherhood was like. And then a few years on, I started working in a children's home, um, look, helping as part of a team look after children who had had really difficult starts in life. And around the same time, I had a couple of words of prophecy from, from close friends saying they felt God calling me to be a father to young people. And at the time, this really scared me because I started to realize that my example of fatherhood had been so lacking and I wondered how I could possibly fulfill that prophecy and step into that without the example. And, and that's when God really sort of took a hold of me and invited me into knowing him as father and just what that meant. And so I'm speaking this morning from a passage that I think really helped me grasp that and just understand who God is as our father. So it's Matthew chapter six, we're starting at verse seven, and I believe the word should appear on the screen. So just for a bit of context, this is 
early on in Jesus's ministry, he's been doing some teaching. He's just delivered a, a big bit of teaching called the Sermon on the Mount to a big crowd of people. And then after that, he, he gathers his disciples, the, the 12 people who he's sort of chosen to be close to him during this time. And he, he teaches them how to pray. And this is actually the first time in the Bible where we get instruction on how we should pray. We get examples of prayer throughout the Old, Old Testament and already in the book of Matthew, we'd see, we've seen powerful examples of prayer. But this is the first time when we're actually instructed on the mechanics and, and parts of what to say. So Jesus says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. And that's when Jesus opens this prayer with possibly the four most well-known and repeated words in all of scripture. Our father in heaven. And I think the fact that he chooses to open with this highlights its importance. Later in the Lord's Prayer, we, he talks about coming to God for our daily bread and for forgiveness and calling God to, to bring his kingdom into this world. But before any of that, Jesus wants us to address God as our father in heaven. And I don't know about you, but those, those two concepts I find quite difficult to, to marry up when I think of in heaven and I think of God being our father. In some way, I think they're almost diametrically opposed, like they don't seem like you can have both of them together. So I'd like to spend some time this morning opening up both those concepts and seeing how God is both of them and then hopefully start to, to bring them together as one. Because I think that's what Jesus wants us to understand, because this isn't the only time he uses this terminology. Many times throughout the Gospels, he refers to God as our heavenly father. Again, we see those two, two concepts coming together. So I'm going to start a little bit backwards. I'm going to start with the idea of God being in heaven and what that means. And so in other parts of the Bible where we see God in heaven, we see some pretty potentially scary stuff. So in the book of Revelation, we see God in heaven seated on the throne and the angels and the elders of the churches are falling flat on their face to worship him and declare his glory. In Isaiah's vision in the Old Testament of God on heaven's throne, we see the angels worshiping him and covering their faces because they know that he is so powerful that if they even glimpse at him, they will die. And I don't know about you, but this is a little bit beyond my ability to, to grasp. When I, when I imagine God in those terms, it, it frightens me and it makes it really difficult for me to, to come before him if I'm just imagining that. So I'd like to take a moment to sort of put it slightly in more earthly terms. And I've got a picture to, to demonstrate that. So this is a picture of JFK. So he was president uh, of the United States of America at the start of the 1960s. And here he is sat on his throne. This at the time is probably almost certainly the most powerful man in the world, in the most powerful seat in the world. He, from that throne, commands the armies of the United States. He has access to 
America's nuclear weapons and the authority to, to declare nuclear war and send, and send nukes and effectively make decisions that have lasting and powerful impacts across the globe. So that's sort of our earthly idea of power that I want to work from. And then when we think that God has authority even over him, even over all of the world leaders, he, he has put them where they are because he holds that power and authority over them and their office. And not only them, he holds power and authority over the whole cosmos itself, over sickness, over death, over every stone in your yard, and every tree in your garden. God has absolute authority in the same way that JFK from that desk can command the troops of the American people. God can command the cells in our bodies. Every atom falls under his authority. And when we think about that level of power and authority, it worries me because you only need to look at the current occupant of the Oval Office to, to see that that level of power and authority often comes with scandal or allegations and distrust. Or you can look at, at our own nation's leader and, and see the same there. And I don't want to get political, but whether or not those, those scandals or those accusations, however much truth is in them, it still paints the picture that people with power and authority like that aren't to be trusted. So when we come to, to God, who holds, again, even, even more power and authority, we can be scared of, of what he can do. And yet it's really important that we understand that he can do that. As we were praying earlier for, for healing, it's really important that we know God is powerful and has that authority over our sickness. Otherwise, we, we can't expect him to move or to move against the coronavirus as we have been praying so much for him to do lately. But then how do we measure up that power and that authority with someone we can come to? And that's where I'd like to look at the other half of that opening statement in the Lord's Prayer, our Father. Now, I want to preface this by saying I'm not a Bible linguist. But the word Father here in the Bible, uh, the, the word Jesus would have used was the Aramaic word Abba. And now the word Abba doesn't really have a perfect translation into English. Here is translated as father. Now, when I think of the term father, I think of a lot of formality. I think of, of it almost as a, as a title in a family rather than a relationship. Because I can't really imagine talking to my own father and I, can, I might call him my father, but I wouldn't address him as father. There seems to be something lacking and, and missing in that relationship. However, the word Abba, it, it still holds that level of respect and that level of placing the father at, at the head of the household with authority, but it also comes with a much sweeter, much kinder, much more loving connotation. And it can often be translated as daddy or dad or papa. And that, that word has, in some languages, lasted even to, to, to today. In a section, in, in a few countries in the Middle East, Abba, or Emma, meaning mum, 
would be the first word a young child learns. Uh, a child in Israel learning to ride their bike might fall off and scrape their knee and they'll call out for their Abba, their daddy or, or their papa. And the very fact that Jesus is choosing to use these, this, the language of Aramaic to open this prayer would have been very surprising for the disciples. They would have grown up knowing or hearing the language of prayer being Hebrew, which is the language of the Old Testament and the language that they would have learned predominantly to read scripture and to pray to God. So by teaching his disciples and us to pray in our native tongue, Jesus is, is pulling down these barriers to that relationship and saying that when we come to speak to our father, our dad, we can do it just as naturally as we would to our friends or our family or our own dad. And so we see these, these two pictures that Jesus is painting in, in these four words of our father and in heaven. And they're both really important. And I think we often get them both separately, but it can be difficult when we try to bring them together. And to start bringing them together, I've got another picture. Um, it's a very visual aid morning this morning. I don't know how that's quite gonna work for the, um, for the podcast on the website, but we'll see. Um, so this is again, a picture of JFK, still president, still sat at his throne. But this one, I think, paints a very different picture, a much more familial, loving picture, because underneath the desk, we see a child playing with his toys at the feet of the most powerful man in the world. This child is doing something that comes so naturally to children. He's playing with his toys and spending time with his father. And while he's doing that, he gets to be in the room where it happens, in the throne room of the American nation and possibly the world. He sees powerful decisions being made. He sees people coming and going and talking to his dad and calling him Mr. President. Good morning, Mr. President. Yes, Mr. Mr. President. No, Mr. President. And I'll bet he doesn't call his dad Mr. President. He may even find it quite confusing that these, these men are coming and, and speaking to his, his dad in such a way. Because he, he doesn't call him Mr. President, he, he calls him dad. And I think that terminology can be really, really important in how we approach God. One of the big turning points in my relationship with knowing God as father was when I felt him prompting me not to address him as, as father or Lord all the time, but to start addressing him as dad and opening my prayers with, with dad. And I think as, as I started to do that, it took what was a very confusing term that, that brought up mixed emotions and thoughts. And it, it took that word and it made it sweet and it, it gave it such special connotations that it boosted my relationship with him. And that's something that I maybe would encourage you to do if, if that's something that you want to feel. We can call God dad. And because we get to call him dad, we get to have fun with him. We get to, just as that child 
who also also called John Kennedy, very confusingly, um, got to play and have fun in the room where all of these powerful things were happening, we get to do the same. As we come and spend time with our heavenly dad, we get to experience all of this power, all of this strength, all of this authority, but also know that we are completely safe because our dad's love for us means that that power and authority are worked for our good and not against us. I'm reminded of later in the Gospels, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is being betrayed and arrested, and one of his disciples wants to fight for him and protect him. And he draws his sword and he actually cuts off the ear of one of the guards. And Jesus says to him, you don't need to do that. My father in heaven has it covered. If he, if he wanted to, he could send legions of angels to keep me safe. And I think that's just the same in that picture with the president. I think if his son was in danger and he knew he needed to protect him, he would send a fully armed battalion to show how much he loves his son. And God will do that for you and me as well. And so that sort of starts to build the picture of how these two sides of God aren't separate, but actually come together to make a picture of God that is so much more special and so much more loving and incredible than we can really fathom. And I'd like to, to come in in a little bit to close, and I'd like to look at a couple of things that our relationship with our heavenly dad means for us. And one of these things is that he approves of us. Whatever we've done, he loves us. I think we can often look at ourselves and see faults and flaws and failings and I guess all the Fs really. And we can think that those are the defining traits of who we are and of our identity. And that can make us not want to come to God because when we think of the authority he has, we think surely if I come to God with this stuff, he'll, he'll turn me away. Or it might be something you've come to God with so many times and you think surely he's bored of hearing this by now surely he won't want to hear this again but he will and here i'm reminded of the story of the prodigal son a story that i think is a little bit misnamed because it's a, it tells us a lot more about a father than it does about a son and so i'll go through it quickly because i think most people will be familiar with it um, but this prodigal son has asked for his inheritance early which he's been given and he goes off to a foreign land and he throws it all away he spends it on luxury and trying to live the good life and then he's lost it all very quickly I guess the equivalent for us would be maybe going to Vegas and putting everything on 22 black and then being surprised when when we suddenly lose it and so the son ends up sleeping in a pigsty where the pigs are still sleeping as well and he realizes he's lost everything and his only hope is to go back to his father and just hope and pray and beg that he can have some semblance of his old position in the house and the family. He, he's resolved to going and, and begging just to be a servant in his father's house. And so he's, he's going back. And before he even gets to the house, his dad is coming out to meet him. And I imagine maybe he was told by, by some servants or some messengers that his dad's coming out for him. And he's probably thinking, oh, oh 
I've completely messed this up. He couldn't even wait for me to get to the house before turning me away. He's going to get He's just going to send me away again. And he's probably ready to swallow his bride and to fall down and beg because he feels his father is going to send him away. But he doesn't. His father embraces him and celebrates for his return and puts a ring on his finger and reinstates him with all of the position he had before. And God does the same with us. God has the authority to look at our faults and flaws and to send us away because of them. But he also has the authority not to. And the authority to put our flaws and our failings to the side and embrace us as sons and daughters. And lastly, I want to look at the word our that Jesus opens with in the Lord's Prayer, our Father. So the word our in English can have different levels of inclusivity. That is to say, when I talk about our something, you who's listening to it doesn't necessarily know whether that our includes you. For example, I might talk about our flat, which would be mine and my flatmates Rianne's flat. But if I talk about our church, that includes all of us. And it, it's inviting people into, into togetherness. And when Jesus says, our father, and invites us to say the same, he is being completely inclusive. He is saying God is our father as much as he is Jesus's. And one thing that means is that it makes us, as a church and as sons and daughters of God, it makes us a family. So I want you to, to look around. Maybe if you've got speaker view on, switch to gallery view for a moment and look at the people in the room with you and the people on your screen. And those are your brothers and your sisters, just as much as your own flesh and blood. And that family, that brotherhood and that sisterhood is so much more lasting than, our, than any earthly concept of family. And that includes us, that includes the other churches in our small family of churches in Nottingham and Birmingham, and that includes across the globe, everyone who calls God Father. We are one amazing worldwide family. And then that also, very importantly, includes the person inviting us to call God our Father. And that includes Jesus. By inviting us into this really special prayer and this special way of addressing our dad in heaven, Jesus is, is saying that we're with him. We're on that same level. And that when our father looks at us, it's as if he's looking at Jesus. He sees in us all the same great qualities that he sees in Jesus. And he says the same things about us. The words that, that God says, the fact that the father says over Jesus at his baptism, he also speaks over us. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. This is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. We have such an amazing relationship available to us with our father. And I've asked Rob if we can finish with a song that's maybe slightly on the nose, but I think it really speaks of how loving and how kind our father in heaven is and just how much relationship we have available to us with him.